here tonight. Open your Bibles to the 34th Psalm, Psalms 34. Psalms 34. I want to speak to you tonight on the subject of how big is God. How big is God? Somebody asked a long, long time ago, said, you know, somebody said God can do anything. And somebody else said, well, can God make a rock so big that he can't pick it up? Uh, <laughs> you need to let that sink in for a little while. Uh, the fact is, God can do anything, so uh, He can do whatever He wants to do. Verse number one, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. Have you ever listened to someone, maybe even yourself, trying to describe how big their problem is? And when we're going through a problem, you know, we, uh, well, so, sometimes we get the feeling that nobody else understands. And we, uh, we estimate the size of our problem to be bigger than anybody else's. And it's just something about man's self-centeredness. And we always have a bit of that with us, even those that have been saved and those that know the Lord and serve the Lord. There is always that the vestiges of our old nature that's still within us that is resisting us. And that's why the Apostle Paul spoke about the, uh, the flesh and the spirit being in a struggle in the book of Galatians. It's a battle raging. And so we tend to, we tend to make our problems, you know, even larger than life. And, uh, we get our focus on the greatness of our problem and forget about really the greatness of God. And, and I think it's fair to say that God, the thought of God has dwindled in the mind of modern man. We, we need the, uh, the the mindset of the preacher many years ago. I can't remember exactly who it was, but he said, as the marsh hen builds on the watery sod, I'll build my nest on the greatness of God. Well, he got it right. That's the only sure foundation, the only place where we can rest our hopes and be assured that he's not going to fail. I appreciate the old Puritan writers. I don't always agree with everything they say. But I appreciate the things that they wrote many long years ago for keeping that fact before us that, you know, that God is great beyond our imagination, beyond our ability to, uh, to describe to anyone. Uh, the Apostle Paul caught the spirit of that. And I want you to listen is what he said in Philippians chapter number one. He said, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or death. 
Now, you got to be serious to say something like that and really mean it, don't you think? Whether by life or whether by death, he said, uh, I want Christ to be magnified in my body. Uh, now, we can't make God any bigger than he is, can we? We can't make God any greater than he is. I mean, God is what he is. So we can't make God bigger, but the fact is we can magnify him in the sight of other people. Uh, and you, you take a survey of the people out here walking down the street and ask them what they think about God, you'll get, you'll get every kind of answer under the sun, you know. Uh, there be, you know, a lot of people think God's some kind of a some kind of a heavenly Santa Claus up there. You know that just uh, you know if we're good boys and girls, He's going to shower us with gifts, and if He's not, if we're not, why He's going to deprive us of the blessings of life. And they have a total misconception of who God is and what God desires. And uh, consequently, when we get off track in what we think about God. It affects everything that we think about ourselves. And that's why tonight I want us to take just a few minutes and I want us to think about how big God is. Uh, well, how do you do that? How do you determine how big God is? But the only way I figured out is by this book I hold in my hand. You know, that, that's the only way I know. Because the Word of God expresses the likeness of God. It reveals to us what He is. So how big is God? Well, the Bible is obvious that God is bigger than our foes. And I want you to notice the introduction to this psalm. It's very important. It says in the introduction, the psalm of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. In other words, this is something that happened to David after David had had killed Goliath. And, you know, sometimes we, uh, we, we think about the, 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 the huge, massive size of Goliath and think about his strength and his power. And uh, we think, well, a little boy like David doesn't have a chance against him. Well, no, David really didn't. But Goliath didn't have a chance against God, did he? You see, it wasn't the size of the enemy, it's the size of your God that makes all the difference in the world. And it was God that enabled David to conquer his enemy. Now, every single one of us is, is going to face foes in this life. Whether you realize it or not, you're in a battle. The world, the flesh, and the devil, all three of those elements are working against you. The, by the world, I'm talking about this ungodly, evil system that we live in. Remember Jesus said concerning Satan that he is the God of this world. Well, that doesn't mean he's the true and the living God at all, but it just means that the world has pledged their allegiance to him. It means that Satan is operative in our lives. He's working against us. But then, you know, there's not only the devil there's the, and the world, there's our old sinful flesh, as I mentioned, because none of us are strong enough to conquer our foes. Whenever we talk about getting the victory over this and the victory over that, what we ought to be thinking of is that the victory is in Jesus Christ. The victory is something bestowed upon us. 
you know, I've heard so many times, you know, people talk about, well, uh, you know, I trusted Christ as my Savior, and I quit this, and I quit that, and I started these other things. And the entire testimony is all about what they've done. And it ought to be about what God has done, because He's the one that's the change agent in our life. Second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 18 talks about us as we're looking to Jesus and so forth, and how we are changed moment by moment, day by day, step by step, we are changed, but it says, so as by the Spirit of God. He's the one that's making the change, and He's the one that enables us to overcome our enemies, regardless of how big and bad they are, regardless of what you're facing, what foe is against you, your God is bigger than your enemies. But not only that, we look at verse number four. We see that God's bigger than our fears. You know, it's one thing to have foes. It's another thing to have fears because sometimes you've got an enemy that you're not necessarily afraid of, right? I mean, you know, the neighborhood bully. Uh, a lot of times the neighborhood, neighborhood bully is not the baddest dude in town. And there's always somebody better than he is is not afraid of him. But notice verse number four, because sometimes fear comes upon us even whenever, even when we're not necessarily facing some enemy. And he says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me. Now get this from all, all my fears. Remember when David killed Goliath. And here's the part of the story that sometimes we forget about. David killed Goliath. Well, you would think all of a sudden that he would be a national hero. Well, in reality, he was. I mean, the, the women were dancing in the street. They were singing songs about David. I mean, it was all about David. But the problem is Saul, who was the king, became jealous of David. David's getting too much attention out there. I, I'm the king. I'm the one that they ought to be, you know, uh, uh, uh honoring instead of David and so Saul sets out on a mission to kill David in reality David is his best friend in reality he is a national hero and Saul is stupid enough that he wants to kill somebody like that it goes to show you just how serious this matter of jealousy is so Saul in his rage is determined that he's going to kill David well finally David has been running from him, living in caves, hiding in dens, anywhere he can go to get away from him. And finally, he figures out that I'm going to go to Gath. Now, the thing about Gath is that Gath is the hometown of Goliath. Now, who in the world would ever suspect that David is hiding out in Gath? And no doubt he's thinking to himself, Saul will never look for me there. And so I can go there and I can hide out. Well, the problem with that, and remember, this is all driven by fear now. David is running from him. He goes to Gath. And all of a sudden, he is recognized for who he is. Somebody says, that's David. He, he's the one that killed our hero. He's the one that killed Goliath. And so in order to in order to sort of deal with this, he played on their emotions by pretending to be insane. You know, he, he just acted like he was insane or mad. And can you imagine that shameful moment? Well, they kicked him out of town. 
you know, you hear about in the old days of riding somebody out of town on a rail. Well, that's kind of what happened here. They kicked David out of town. And so uh, now he's telling us how God delivered him from all of his fears. He, at that point, he is eaten up with fear. Saul's trying to kill him. The people of Gath don't want him in town. He has nowhere to go but to hide. And some of the Psalms, by the way, are written when David was hiding in those caves, trying to uh, get away from danger. But David's not the only one that faces fears. We all have fears of a different sort, don't we? Yeah, that pain that's uh, somewhere in your body that, you know, that's unusual and, uh, you know, got a pain there. It's probably just indigestion, but at least for that fleeting moment is I wonder if I could be having a heart attack. You know, I remember several years ago, I started taking blood pressure medicine, but anyway, my ankle started swelling. I mean, really swelling. And so I called the doctor, and the doctor said, you go to bed right now, get your feet elevated, and get right in here tomorrow. You could have congestive heart failure. Well, what a way to spend the night. I, here, I think I'm probably dying, you know. Uh, and uh, you come to find out, and without any inquiry or anything, it so happened we stopped down at the pharmacy we was going to, and the, the pharmacist knew what kind of medicine, blood pressure medicine I was taking, and, and just casually mentioned, do you ever have any swelling as a result of that? And I Duh, yeah, uh, you know, why do you ask that? I, I didn't figure the doctor knew the pharmacist or anything and hadn't let the cat out of the bag, but, well, that's one of the side effects of the medicine. Now, I'm saying all that for a reason. You see, we let our imagination sometimes run wild, and we, we you know, we take it to the limit. We imagine the very worst. Now, let's not kid ourselves. Sometimes it can be the very worst. It can be, but we don't want to borrow trouble from tomorrow. And the Bible tells us that we're, you know, over and over, it says don't worry about anything. It tells us that we're not to live in fear. But that's easier said than done. But the point is, your God's big enough to deliver you from your foes. He's bigger than your foes. He's bigger than your fears. But now look at verse 11. He's also bigger than your failures. Here in verse number 11, David says, Come, ye children, hearken unto me. Now get this. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now remember, David had failed miserably, but he's recovered now. And now that he has recovered from his from his failure, he is teaching others. And by the way, that's the way that it ought to be because we all fail. And this is a good reminder that your failure does not have to be final. It, by the way, your failure doesn't make you a failure. We all fail at some time or another. If you're teaching a kid to play the piano, for example, they're going to hit some bad notes. They don't get it right the first time. We all fail. and But that doesn't mean that you're a failure because you fail. We can learn from our failings and as a result of that become better than we would be otherwise. So it's not something that's final. 
but our failure can actually make us fruitful then that it enables us to minister to other people. I was talking this morning about the fact that in our trials, God comforts us that we might be able to comfort others. So if what we learn by that experience of being comforted by the Lord, that enables us to comfort others. But this same thing is true when it comes to our failures. And that's why, listen, listen, young people, let me tell you one reason you think mom and dad's nagging at you. No, they're really, they're not. Or chances are they not. You, I mean, they might be, but, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, but they really have your best interest at heart. You know why they're, you know, why they say all of those things? It's because they know what they did when they were a kid and they're afraid you're going to do the same thing. And they're wanting to give you some good advice and you need to listen to them because they look back and they're thinking about their failures, you know, and, and they learned from that. Thank God they did. And even so, whenever you, listen, when you fail, regardless of how bad it is, by the way, David has some horrible failures, but David's not the only one. You go through the Bible and over and over again, you see different people like Abraham, for example. Well, we talk about Abraham being the father of the faithful and, you know, and what a great man he was. And that's all true. But, boy, he really failed, I'm telling you. Moses failed. Samson failed. Peter failed. Uh, So failure is a part of life. But we don't have to become a failure because we fail. We can pick up the pieces and go on and learn something from that and build something good out of our experiences. Do you realize your failure, your failure can become your ministry? Really? A lot of times we fail and the last thing we want to do is ever deal with those issues. I'll never forget several years ago when pastoring just outside of Cincinnati there. And we had started a church over in Ohio and one day... uh, uh, the preacher there, a the fellow by the name of Ronnie Rogers, uh, was a dear dear friend, and uh, Ronnie called and said, uh, Brother Stone said, I want you to come out and, and preach a meeting for us. But he said, I want it to be on the family. And I said, I don't think I can do that. And, and uh, he said, why? And, and he, he, he knew about some problems that we were going through at the time. One of our kids had run away from home, not one time, but many times, and, and just some problems. Well, the first, thing, the first thing when something like that happens, mom and dad starts thinking about all of their failures. And I, boy, I'm telling you what, I did, I think the best I could, but I didn't get it all right. It's a learning process that you go through. Nobody, somebody says, oh, so-and-so wrote the book on rearing children. Well, uh, yeah, <laughs> that, that doesn't mean it's right, but he might have wrote a book about it, but it doesn't mean he got it right. Well, the first thing happened to me, I started feeling guilty. I, I, I started feeling guilty about all the time I was away preaching in revival meetings and all of the load that that placed on Bev and felt guilty about all that, I, you know, and, and I was eaten up with guilt because it's all my fault. I, I'd, I'd heard some of these preachers talk about Proverbs 22, 6, train of a child in the way should go and his own is not depart from it, talking about that being a promise. That's not a promise. It's a probability. It's not a promise. I mean, any child can go bad regardless of how good a job that you do. 
But here I am. And, and, and so I told him, I said, Brother Ronnie, I said, look, I, I would love to, but I said, you know the problems that, that we're having, troubles we're going through. I just, I, I can't do that. I, I don't know why you would ask me. He said, that's why I'm asking you. He said, that's why I want you to come. Because of the things that you're going through. Let me tell you something, folks. Whether uh, so many times people will fail and the devil likes nothing better than trying to convince you that your failure has ruined your life. You'll never be fit for nothing again. Let me tell you, that's a lie. It doesn't have to end that way. Your failure can become your ministry. And David, out of the depths of his failure, having recovered, said, I'm going to teach others. I'm going to teach them. I'm going to, I'm going to help others. God's bigger than your failures. God is bigger than your fears. He's bigger than your foes. But He's also bigger than your future. Just last week, I was talking to one of our members, a flood victim, by the way, and this person said, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I don't know what to do. And, uh, wow, I want to tell you, whenever you get, you know, wiped out like that, why well, you start, uh, you start wondering what next? What, what do we do? Where do we go from here? And, and yet we know what the Bible says there in Matthew 6, 34, where Jesus said, take no thought for tomorrow. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about tomorrow. But listen, we all do, don't we? We shouldn't, but we all, we all are guilty of doing that sometime. And uh, that's why I love that little poem, One Day at a Time with Its Failures and Its Fears. One day at a time. You see, that's the way we need to live. Because whenever we start borrowing trouble from tomorrow, we're going to, we're going to take upon ourselves a load that we're not able to bear. And I want you to understand that regardless of what tomorrow holds, God holds tomorrow. He has your future in His hands. He is bigger than, than, than your future. What, that can be emotionally. Look at verse number 18, if you would. And I want you to notice He's bigger than your emotional needs. Verse 18, He says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Aren't you glad that God is able to deliver you out of your emotional trauma, your, your, your worries uh, from the emotional standpoint? But sometimes it's not a matter of emotion so much as it is a, a physical need. Well, look back to verse number 8. He says, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints. For there is no want, that means no lack, to those that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Uh, boy, that's quite a promise, isn't it? To, uh, God is just letting us know that, that look, that, that you do what is right and I'm going to take care of you. Now, notice he said that we're not going to lack. And every single one of us can probably think of something that we think that we're lacking. 
right? I, and, and, and whenever, like going through the flood, we, we keep thinking about, and there are things that daily remind us of stuff we lost, and we just we have to take ourselves in hand, as it were, and remind us of what we have. Yeah, I lost this, but I've got this. You know, and what I've got is something that people in the third world countries have never had. They've never had the, that. I, you know, we're still rich compared to the standard of the world. And it's all because of the fact that God has promised to take care of us and to meet our needs. He didn't say, I'm going to give you just anything you want. No, I, I know the Bible says he give you the desires of your heart. But that's talking about someone whose desire is to please God. When our desire is to please God, we're not going to want something that is contrary to His will or something that's going to be harmful to His cause. So the bottom line is, folks, that you never have a problem that God can't solve. And He doesn't, doesn't give any of us a promise that life is going to be easy. But He has promised that He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Verse 17, The righteous cry... And the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all of their troubles. Isn't that great? He hears the righteous cry. But God hears them and delivers them. In the little Bible that I've used for many years in preaching funerals and conducting weddings, there's a poem there that I've read over and over and over again. And uh, this is what it says. I do not know what lies ahead, the way I cannot see. Yet one stands near to be my guide. He'll show the way to me. I know who holds the future, and I know he holds my hand. With God, things don't just happen. Everything by him is planned. So as I face tomorrow with its problems large and small, I'll trust the God of miracles. Give to him my all. And I want you to go away tonight with that thought in your mind that God is bigger than all of your needs. Regardless of how you identify those needs, God's bigger than that. He meet your emotional needs, your physical needs, your material needs. Most of all, he can, he's the only one that can meet your spiritual needs. The only one in all of the world. And if you're here tonight and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know God can take care of that. He's promised. Amen. And he, He'll never fail. And there's so many times we want God to do this or we want God to do that in our life. And, and at the same time, the, the same people will turn around and step over the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and reject the sacrifice that he made and refuse to repent and trust the Lord. Look, folks, I mean, that's not only the most terrible injustice we could do to ourselves, but that's the worst possible insult to God. Somebody says, well, you know, I killed a man one time, and, and so, I, you know, I, I know I'm going to go to hell. Some people say, well, I, I, I'm, you know, I committed this sin, and, and I know I'm going to go to hell because of it. Uh, someone uh, asked me the question the other day, 
uh, said if a person commits suicide, will they go to hell? Uh, let me tell you, the, you're not going to hell because you kill someone, because you kill yourself, because you rob a bank or do any of those other things. The only reason you're going to go to hell is if you reject Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That, that's, that's the only thing that'll, that'll keep you out of heaven and send you to hell. I pray tonight that you won't do that. He is a God that is bigger than all of your sins and able to save you. Let's all stand together. Father in heaven, we thank you tonight for your greatness. And Lord, we realize that what we know about you, not only what we know from the Word of God, but what we know from the experiences of life, that you are a great God and a mighty God and a good God and all of those other descriptive phrases that we could use. But Lord, we realize that it's not just our knowledge that we gain from your word, but through the experiences of life. And we look back and think about all of the times and the many ways that you have delivered us out of our troubles, the times that you have met our needs, and we're so thankful for that. But, Lord, the majority of this world knows nothing about that. They've never read their Bible. They've never studied the Word of God. They've never had the experience of receiving Christ. They don't know anything about the joy of having their sins forgiven. And I pray you'll help each and every one of us communicate that to them, that indeed we might do, as David said, that we might magnify the Lord together that we might make him larger in the minds of those that we come across. Help, help us to live in a way that they'll see him living in and through us. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand, and we're going to sing a verse of invitation. And if you're here, and if God's speaking to your heart, or maybe tonight you just want to pray about some matter in your life, we encourage you to come. It's 41.